Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. I did just want to kick off this morning by sharing. Uh, Rob and I had the, the joy on Friday of going and delivering one of the storehouse hampers and gifts. Well, actually we did two. Um, to some of the families. And I wanted to share the story with you because um, although we, we had the joy of being there and receiving um, as well when we were giving, we wanted to share that because you guys are all part of that as you've put those hampers together and gone and bought those Christmas presents. And anyway, we, one of the families that we went to go visit was a, a single mum of six kids. Um, and she's relatively new to the storehouse. Um, and so we, we arrived, and she was at home without any kids, which was, which was really, really good. And we came with the hamper, and we came with the big bag of Christmas presents. Um, and she was like, oh, thank you, thank you. And then she saw what we had, and she went, oh, my goodness. And she just burst into tears. And we showed her that there were gifts for everyone, and she was just in tears and tears. She gave me this massive hug, which I pass on to you guys as well. Um, she just looked at us and she said, you know, my kids have been asking for gifts and I just didn't know how I was going to buy them anything this Christmas at all. And she's like, this is like God's answer to my prayers. I can now give them something on Christmas Day. And look at that food we can now celebrate on Christmas Day. And it just, both Rob and I came away quite emotional. <laughs> Um, but it just reminded us why we do what we do, why, you know, why we get the presents, why we get the hampers, because there are families who are doing it really tough just down the road and are asking the Lord, are asking God. That's, that's was, that was her resounding comment. God knows. God answered my prayers. God, he, he's giving me what I need. He hears. And I was like, yes. It's not us giving them things. It's God hearing the cries of people's hearts and us responding to that. So I wanted to share that with you. I wanted to send that thanks uh, to you guys as well. Um, and I know, you know, for the one story we have, there are many other, um, other stories um, of that. So thank you. You know, I think... Um, Seeing, uh, just chatting to that mom reminded me that, you know, the world's a crazy place. It's a crazy place at the moment. I don't know, um, I don't know how you guys feel, but every time I read the newspaper, it's not very encouraging. <laughs> it's quite like, not only just depressing, but, but also, God, where are you? What's going on? Like, um, and just this real kind of sense of, of, Lord, we need you. We need more of your kingdom. We need more of who you are into these situations and circumstances. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've been reflecting on, uh, obviously, on the story of David because uh, if you've been with us for the last six weeks or so, we've been doing a series uh, on David and his relationships and um, with different people. And I'm 
going to be finishing the series today looking at David and Saul. But the more I kind of was looking at this, this uh, relationship between them, I actually felt like the Lord was highlighting not so much their relationship with each other, but their relationship with him. And, um, and the verse that kept on coming to mind as I was preparing this was the verse in Ephesians 6, where Paul is talking about having the armor of God, and he talks about putting that on so that we can stand, and after everything is done, we can still be standing. Two people, fairly similar stories in some ways, which we'll have a look at, but one is standing at the end of it and one isn't. And I just felt like the Lord, like our heart, isn't it, is that we want to be people who after everything is done are still standing. Whatever life has thrown at us, whatever circumstances have come our way, to be those people who at the end of it are standing in the Lord and are standing strong. And so this morning we're just going to explore those two, uh, David and, and Saul and their relationship with God and what the, the, the similarities in their life was and, and some of the differences. I'm, go- I'm going to jump around a little bit in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. So feel free to have your Bibles open and see if you can jump around. But um, I don't have a specific passage that I'm going to read this morning. So like I said, David and Saul were both kings. They both had sort of some similar life. And yet their relationship with God was very different. Where they ended up was very different. One of them, their relationship with God was really strong and the other one wasn't really. However, you know, as we look at their lives, we can see that there's similarities all, um, all the way through. And there's quite a few similarities if you read through um, the story of, of David and Saul. But I just wanted to pick up two things uh, this morning that I feel like God wanted to, I guess, put a bit of a focus on. And the one was, you know, uh, David and Saul both had a bit of a difficult start in life. If you were here for Phil's talk, you would have heard um, him talking about, you know, David being the youngest of a big family. Um, Sometimes I know the youngest feel like they're left out. Uh, David's dad apparently kind of forgot his name, it seems, to appear. He can't even remember his youngest uh, when he's talking to the prophet Samuel. He's like, yeah, the, I think he's the one. He's kind of doing the sheep over there. So he seems a little bit forgotten. His brothers also give him a really rough ride, call him arrogant, call him all sorts of things. And so he doesn't come from this very encouraging place. Um, Saul also had a, bit, a little bit of a difficult start. I don't know if you've uh, sort of read the passage at all, but basically 
Um, Saul comes from the tribe of Benjamin, which was the youngest tribe. It was the smallest tribe. And apparently in that tribe, there were different clans, and he came from the most insignificant clan of that. And Saul's very conscious of that because he's the one that points it out to, to Samuel. He's like, but I'm the, I'm the least tribe from the least tribe, and I'm the clan of the least. And so how can I be king? He... Um, he also hides, so he's not a very brave man. When they kind of call out who's going to be king, um, they go, oh, where is Saul? And Saul's hiding in the supplies. He's, he's kind of like not, nowhere to be found. And so, you know, they both, they both don't have a very positive start. I don't know if you've read the inaugural speech that Samuel has when he's about to um, crown Saul as king. It's not very encouraging. It's basically, Israel, you have, um, you've been asking for a king, which is not God's heart. You have um, not been following him, so here's your king. That's great, isn't it? You know, for leaders who already feel vulnerable, that's not a particularly good start. And yet, and yet something, there's something in David which is different. There's something about David where he seems to grow in intimacy with the Lord rather than insecurity. You know, we don't know much about what happened when David was um, looking after the sheep, but we see it in his leadership. You know, Psalm 23, when he talks about fighting Goliath, and he talks about, to Saul then about how, well, actually, God was training me when I was looking after sheep because I had to kill bears and lions. And, and you get that sense that there was this kind of relationship and intimacy that David had in those sort of quiet places. Whereas Saul, Saul doesn't seem to have that. He seems to cultivate this insecurity. He seems to cultivate this, like, n not really sure of himself, but also desperately trying to control. It's funny, there's this one part, so Saul's been, um, he's been crowned king. And then there's the verse almost directly afterwards, is 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel 10 says, but some scoundrels said, how can we follow this fellow? How can he save us? They despised him and they brought him no gifts. Saul kept silent. There's little bits, little things that happen to Saul that he seemed to kind of hold, kept silent, sort of fed the insecurity, fed the things um, that were starting to stir in him. I hope by now, as we have looked through David's story as well, you'll realize that both Saul and David messed up. David messed up quite a bit, and so did Saul. He wasn't perfect, David. But it's interesting because when David messes up, and if you were here for when JB spoke 
um, about the story of David and Bathsheba. When David messes up, he straight away, once he realizes that the story is about him, he straight away takes responsibility. And he changes and he, re- he repents and he changes. Whereas Saul, when the prophet Samuel comes and points out some things to him, he completely flatly denies it. Now, I don't know if you guys have kids, right? Um, or, have, or work with children. Have you ever been with a kid where you've seen them do something <laughs> and they still flatly deny that it was them who did it? Straight face. No, it wasn't me. No, somebody else. It feels a little bit like, as you read through Saul's story, he's a little bit like that. There's this one situation where God has um, given them very strict instructions as they go out and they fight the Amalekites, destroy everything. Now, as a parent, when you, or, you, know, you, know, when you say to your kids, pick up everything in your room, we know that everything can be interpreted differently, can't we? And so God is very clear everything. Anyway, Samuel, um, Saul decides, we'll do everything, but we'll keep the best sheep and cattle, because then we can honor God with that, and we'll keep the king alive, because that'll be, you know, show what a great king I am, to show that I've captured the other king. And um, God then speaks to the prophet Samuel, And Samuel goes and he approaches Saul. And Saul is like, this has been wonderful. Look how we defeated. Look how we did. His words are exactly what God asked us to do. And Samuel's like, no, you didn't. And he's like, um, uh, Samuel goes, what is this bleating of sheep I hear? And Saul goes, well, you know, we did this and we did that, but we just spared those sheep so we could sacrifice to God. And so he keeps making these excuses. In fact, to the point where Samuel finally says, enough, enough. He doesn't take any responsibility for what he's done and where he's messed up. You see, for both David and Saul, there were challenges in life. You know, things that happened to them that they couldn't control, things that they did and where they got it wrong. Yet David seems to consistently cultivate intimacy with the Father. Consistently. He keeps going back. When he's messed up, when he's been hurt, when he's made mistakes. While Saul seems to be cultivating this insecurity in him. Every time he messes up, even in the beginning, where it wasn't actually a really great situation to become king and to be crowned king, he cultivates this insecurity inside of us. And I felt like this morning God wanted to say, what are we cultivating? You know, we're heading into Christmas, It's a little stressful at times. It's the end of the year. Everyone's tired. Thousand excuses. But what are we cultivating? As life happens, as we we get things wrong, are we cultivating intimacy 
with the Father? Or are we cultivating our own insecurity and desperately trying to sort it all out and make it all happen? When Rob and I uh, first got married, um, I really struggled every time he went away. He didn't do it a lot, um, but you know, if he went for a um, or like a, a retreat or a you know a, um, a weekend away with friends, I I really struggled to the point um, where I would get be quite panicky. Um, and I would not be able to breathe or cope at all. And so for a long time, Rob didn't go anywhere. He didn't go away for the night. He'd just go for the day, and and he'd come back. And, um, you know, in hindsight, as I look back, I realise a lot of this was down to um, the uh, rejection and abandonment I'd felt as a child in some of my stories. Some of you know uh, my story and um, it was manifesting a lot in every time Rob left. Um, this deep, deep insecurity in me, which was fueled by this fear of being abandoned. I mean, it seems not ridiculous. It seems silly now as I look back because my fear was that he wouldn't come back, which is a bit, you know, now seems a bit strange, but it was a very, very real fear and that I would be left and abandoned. And so, um, along with those feelings of insecurity came deep feelings of guilt. That I was this Christian wife who couldn't let her husband go and do Christian things. I mean, how, how awful is that? And so this guilt would, like, grow and overtake, and I, I would become really controlling of my situation and circumstance. So I'd try and control everything so that maybe I'd be able to cope when he went away. And so we'd try that. And I'd do all sorts of things, and I'd control sorts of things, and then I'd be like, okay, you can go. And then, I, and then within 12 hours, maybe sometimes 24 at a stretch, I would phone him in tears, panicked, saying, you have to come home now. You have to come home. And so often he would leave halfway. Very patient husband of mine. <laughs> And uh, this went on for years and years and years. And I, I spent a lot of energy trying to change. I really did. I had the best intentions. I really did. I wanted to see Rob engage in these retreats. I wanted to see Rob do these things. It wasn't for lack of want or desire. It wasn't for lack of, uh, you know, of, of love for him. But no matter how hard I tried and no matter anything I did, didn't fundamentally change the deep core fear and insecurity that I had inside. And so over a long period of time and over allowing myself Um, to be open to what the Lord was asking me to deal with, not with what I wanted to deal with. Part of that was us coming to Australia to reconcile with my mum 
And through that, the Lord started healing the actual things. I think a lot of time we spend energy on the surface stuff and we can't figure out why things don't change. You know, Saul had the best intentions. You see it all the way through Scripture. He often seems to kind of um, come to his senses in the middle of a passage and go, oh, David, I'm so sorry. And then three sentences later, he's trying to kill him again. You know, no amount of wanting or willing something to change is going to change it. Actually, what brings change is what we see in David. It's this continually cultivating, continually turning back to the Lord. And look, you know, I don't want you to think that I did this amazingly by any stretch of the imagination. You know, there were times where I thought, oh, this is it. I think this is the weekend. I think you can go. I'm all good. Great, and we would do the weekend, and you'd come back, and all hell would break loose at home. And I would just not talk to him as he walked through the door. And even coming back together again after was, I had to learn how to do that. And so, you know, it's one step after another, after another. But I am so grateful that, that um, I said yes to the really hard things. There were times I had to take a look at myself. I had to um, look at my circumstances and my past. I had to forgive those people. And then I had to take responsibility for the decisions I was making right now. You know, I, I, I really believe that taking responsibility for our behaviours and who we are now is one of the key things that unlocks healing. Irrelevant to what happened in our past, and I know that some of, some of you guys have had really tough things, but it's taking that responsibility, taking um, for your spirituality, not so that we can do it and we can make it happen, but so that we can lay that before Jesus completely and fully and get him to help us and have him grow the things that are needed in us. I, um, I'm not a very green, fingery kind of person, okay? So gardening, the only plant... So if you ever want to give me any plants, the only plant I can keep alive is the peace lily because I don't think it can die, which is fantastic. Those kind of, maybe a cactus, I think that probably would work as well. Um, and so I love it when God gives me um, gardening metaphors because I don't usually spend a lot of time in the garden. Um, but I really felt like God was talking about this cultivating. What are we cultivating in our lives? How... Um, how are we cultivating intimacy with him? And if we're not, are we then by default cultivating our own insecurities? And so I looked up, um, well, actually, firstly, you know, um, I know people who love their gardens spend a, spend a lot of time on their gardens. I know that if you want a beautifully manicured garden, you have to pull out the weeds, you have to turn soil, you have to cut back um, the hedges, the grass, 
You've got to do all of that. You can see I'm very gardening. <laughs> it's okay. You, there's lots of grace here. You have to keep doing that consistently, don't you? Because if you don't, it'll just grow into whatever it's going to grow into. And I think sometimes we can see that in the natural, but when it comes to the spiritual, we seem to forget. We forget that if we aren't intentionally cultivating our spiritual journey and our intimacy with Jesus, it's not all just going to fall into place at the end of it. The weeds are not just going to jump out of the ground and run away. The hedge isn't just going to miraculously keep its shape all year round. And sometimes I think things are, you know, um, fall apart or things sort of jump up in us. And they can sometimes take us by surprise. Because we haven't been diligently spending time cultivating. Now, I was looking up the word, um, I was looking up what cultivating is, and I'm sure there's many people who can tell me much better description. But when I was looking at it, it was basically uh, pulling up the ground, toiling the soil, pulling up the ground. And there are three things that happen, and I thought, ah, oh, these things I think is really what God wants to encourage us with this morning to do. The three things are, when you do that with the soil, you aerate it, so it's putting oxygen in the soil. And you know, the Holy Spirit is the very breath of God, isn't it? And so I felt like the Lord um, wanted to encourage us that to cultivate intimacy with Him, to cultivate that relationship with Him intentionally, we need the Holy Spirit. As we pull up the ground and as you know, life happens and things happen, it's the, the breath of God in us. Um, that brings life into those things um, that we struggle with. Uh, the other thing is um, that when you do the, the toiling, it gets rid of the weeds. It brings those weeds up. Um, you know, it's very easy when seeds are planted in us for them just to sit, aren't they? Somebody says something, there's a little reaction inside of us, we just push it down. Something else happens three days later, it gets touched on again, push it down. Six months later, something else happens, gets touched again, push it down. Every time it gets a little harder to push it down, you, your reaction's a little bit more. And we just hope time will sort it out. We hope time will, will just get rid of it. But can I say time makes it worse? Because what happens is eventually some poor unassuming soul says something and it explodes all over them. And can I say, I've done this before. I've done this before. And so the Lord wants us to pick out those weeds regularly and consistently. The little things, because while they're little, super easy. One hand in, pull it out, get rid of it. But when you have a whole garden full of weeds, that's going to take you a day, two days, to sit and go through all of that. The other thing that um, the toiling of the soil does is that it creates good drainage. And so it allows 
the water to kind of um, work through it so that you don't drown the plant. And I think sometimes we try and put the good stuff into us, but we're so clogged up with the stuff that we're not dealing with that we drown ourselves. And then we think God doesn't care or God isn't working or that Holy Spirit stuff's not for me. But it's not got anything to do with the Spirit coming in. It's got to do with the stuff that we're holding that's keeping it all clogged in. And so this toiling and this kind of aerating is something that the Lord wants us to do regularly. There's this beautiful passage, um, two verses, one in Jeremiah and one in Psalms that talks about a tree planted and rooted next to a stream. And uh, it kind of is that picture that I... Um, you know, spoke of right at the beginning where I talked about us being us standing firm, being people who stand firm. That tree, we want to be rooted in the Lord so that we can stand firm and bear fruit in and out of season. So as we go, I guess, into this holiday season, I know it's probably going to get more crazy before it gets a bit quieter. I just felt the Lord was saying, what are, what are we cultivating? What are you cultivating in your life? Have there been past experiences or your, your life in the past? Are there some things that you need to work through? Some things that you need um, to let the Holy Spirit come and aerate through? You know, are there some choices that you've made where you've messed up? We all do that. Where actually you need to come to the Lord and allow Him um, to work in you and to change those things, to extend forgiveness to others, to forgive yourself, to ask for, for, for forgiveness. Because we want to be those people who at the end of it stand. Why don't you stand with me? I think the thing that I've been most reminded of is that we can't do this ourselves. This isn't a let's all try harder church. This is we need God desperately. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the whole Trinity we need the Holy Spirit to come and invade our lives, to come and show us things, to walk with us, to bring that change that we are wanting. And so we've got a little, quite a bit of time this morning, and I'd love us just, we're just going to st uh, start by waiting. So whatever posture you find comfortable, whatever posture kind of in your heart says, yes, Lord. I'd love to encourage you to do that. And I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and then we're going we're gonna to wait. So Holy, Holy Spirit, we welcome you this morning. We thank you that you have already been speaking and moving just ask that you would come now. 
Come and speak to those places in our hearts. Come and minister to us. Lord, we want all that you have for us this morning.